Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Last week I began preaching on the subject of the spiritually sound church. The spiritually sound church. Throughout the New Testament, we see what a spiritually sound and healthy church looks like. However, some letters in the New Testament have this as more of the focus. And that's the case here in the book of Titus. Last week, we saw that the book of Titus is among those books in the Bible of the New Testament that we call the pastoral epistles. Three books of the New Testament. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And we saw that the word epistle simply means letter. These are letters from the Apostle Paul to two men, Timothy and Titus. These men who sometimes traveled with the Apostle on his missionary journeys, but sometimes they were left in certain locations or sent to certain locations in order to organize, strengthen the body of Christ, the church. And so in this sense, these men, Timothy and Titus, were pastors. They were shepherds, aiding and overseeing the flock of God in those churches. And therefore, these letters are called pastoral epistles. They are pastoral because they're concerned with the condition, the activity, the functioning of the church, the household of God. This particular letter was written to Titus identified in chapter 1, verse 4, as my true child in a common faith. And identified in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 23, by Paul as a partner and fellow worker. The occasion for the apostle writing this letter to Titus was to instruct him as to how to set in order what remained. Chapter 1, verse 5. How to set in order the churches on the island of Crete. Having believers there, the church needed to be ordered and structured in such a way that they would function as biblical, God-honoring, God-glorifying, mature disciples of Christ. This is the concern of the Apostle Paul in all the pastoral epistles, but in particular we're looking at this one this letter of Paul to Titus. Now, my intention is for us to focus this week and in following weeks on chapter 2 in particular. And so follow along as I read. And we hear again what characterizes a spiritually sound church. The gospel's the focus. Sound doctrine is the focus. He'll speak of that in chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared But then this grace of God in Christ, this gospel, has an effect on how we live our lives. So he instructs pastors what they're to do, how they're to live, how they're to conduct themselves. He instructs older men in verse 2, older women in verse 3, younger women in verses 4 and 5, younger men beginning in verse 6. And they all were to live as he describes in verse 12. It's denying ungodliness, worldly desires. Instead, they're to live sensibly, righteously in this present age. And all as they look to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Follow along as I read and hear God's word. 
But as for you, speaking to Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the, go- the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, I've entitled these sermons, The Spiritually Sound Church, for a reason. And as I began to unfold last week, a common word that you have in the pastoral epistles, more than any other New Testament letters, is the word sound. Sound. We find the word three times here in Titus chapter 2. In verse 1, referring to sound doctrine. In verse 2, sound in faith. And in verse 8, sound in speech. Now, let me begin this morning by showing you how the word sound is used in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, not in relationship just to doctrine, but also in relationship to living. Because I'm talking about not just a spiritually sound church that has sound doctrine, but a spiritually sound church that has sound living. So let me show you this in the pastoral epistles. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So go over to the left, a couple of books. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Where the Apostle Paul writes, But we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law... Or law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers 
and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers. And notice the phrase, and whatever else is contrary to, here's the word sound, but here describing teaching. Whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, didaskalia is the Greek word. Many of your translations say sound doctrine, but here in the New American Standard, sound teaching. And that is at the heart in verse 11 of the glorious gospel, the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so you see here that there's a connection between the gospel. We need to connect the dots between the glorious gospel of the blessed God to then going back up to verse 10, sound doctrine or sound teaching. But then not only there, we need to connect the dot even more to things that are contrary to that, ways of living that are contrary to that sound doctrine and the glorious gospel of Christ. Now, if you work the other way, when there's sound doctrine that's based on the glorious gospel of Christ, then there are things that are not contrary to that, but ways of living that are consistent with that. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is emphasizing in that verse. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. Here we see another usage of the word sound here in relationship to doctrine, but not separated from sound living. 1 Timothy 4, 6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you, Timothy, will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Notice this next phrase, Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. And so a good servant of Christ will be constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. There's the word again, sound. Or it may be translated good in your translation. It's a different Greek word, but it's the same principle that it's sound because it's good. It's not contrary to what is true, but it is indeed true. Now, this word nourished is a word that means it really literally refers to the process of educating and training. And, and it means to bring up and to rear, so to speak, as with a child. You bring up a child and you nourish them, not only physically by giving them nourishment, but you nourish them, their lives, and you bring them up that they would grow to maturity. As believers, the goal is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not that they would just have the knowledge of the truth, but that they would come to faith in Christ, that their lives would be shaped by the gospel, having believed it, and then they would live in light of the truth. What just adds weird to bring up our children with that goal in mind, Christians are to imbibe in, know, understand, and believe the words of the faith and sound doctrine in order that we would be nourished and brought up by it that we would grow to spiritual maturity. And so again, you see how this doctrine, this sound doctrine, is connected to how we lived. Our lives should be nourished by it, and we should be trained and brought up by that sound doctrine. Look in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. And here you see the word sound used again. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 and 4. Here the apostle writes, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, 
heterodidascalia. So didascalia, the word for doctrine, but here hetero, that which is contrary to. Heterodoxy, not orthodoxy. That which is crooked, not straight. That which is untrue, not true. So if anyone advocates a heterodoxy, a different doctrine, and does not agree with, here's the word, sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine, notice this phrase, conforming to godliness. Then he says he is conceited and understands nothing. So you see here again, there's false doctrine, there's sound doctrine, but this doctrine that sound is doctrine that is conforming to, consistent with, and in accordance with godliness. So again, you can't separate sound doctrine from sound living. I'm just laboring the point that there's a connection between the two. That sound word, sound doctrine leads to a life that is conforming to godliness. And when it doesn't, then there's something wrong. There's an inconsistency. Now, turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And here you see the word sound again. Again, it's used over and over again in the pastoral epistles. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul writes, Retain, Timothy, the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So here he speaks of sound words. And he says, retain it. Hold to it. Never let it go. This word is used literally of grasping something in your hand, holding tightly to it, holding firmly to it. And here the Apostle Paul is speaking of holding firmly to the truth, which is called here the standard of sound words. It's the standard, not a standard, not one of many. It is the standard, the one and only standard. And the word standard actually is an interesting word. It's the word that was used for sketching, making a sketch and an outline and, and writing. Okay, here's a pattern, almost like we've been talking about connecting the dots so that you have this sketch and this pattern. And this sketch draws parameters. And there are things outside of that sketch, outside of those parameters that are outside of the standard. And there are those things that are consistent with the, the sketch, the pattern. And so here, there are boundaries. What are the boundaries? The standard, the boundaries are sound words. By words here, he means objective, propositional truth. And more specifically, we know the, the written word of God, that there are precise terms that communicate objective truth. It's not vague and ambiguous. There's there are things that are inside of sound words, sound doctrine. There are things that are outside of. Again, those things are heterodox, heterodoxy. And how do we retain this standard of sound words? Well, we do so by proclaiming it, believing it, and living it. And we see that in chapter 4. Turn to chapter 4. How was Timothy to retain this standard of sound words? Chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now you begin to see it's not just a proclamation to be heard, but now that word reproves us, it rebukes us, it exhorts us. How we live, the pattern and direction of our lives. And he says, do so with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when, when they will not endure, here's the word again, sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. So here we see again the connection between sound doctrine and life. And some who don't want to retain that standard of sound words, they want to live outside of the bounds of what is sound doctrine and inconsistent with sound doctrine. They go find teachers that will teach in accordance with their own sinful desires. But here again, you see the way that is mitigated, so to speak, is we preach, we proclaim sound doctrine, and we say, and there's a way of life that flows from that sound doctrine. So again, we see the connection between sound doctrine and sound living by the fact that there are those who teach things that are in accordance with unsound doctrine, so to speak, in accordance with their own sinful desires. Now, turn back to Titus. Again, pastoral epistles. You see this emphasis that if a church is to be sound, there must be sound doctrine and sound living. So in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, in speaking of elders, it describes them in this way. Titus 1, 9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he, the pastor, will be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So here they're to exhort. This is what makes a sound church. We're going to focus in on this in a moment. The foundation is pastors who exhort in sound doctrine. The word exhort here means to summon, to call, to implore, to beg, to urge This is the word that Paul used in Ephesians 4 verse 1 when he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. This is the same word he used in Romans 12 verse 1 when he says, I urge you, brethren, it's urgent by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And in both those cases, what he is saying is, based on this sound doctrine, now there's a pleading with the people of God, an urging of their souls to now walk in a particular way that's consistent with that sound doctrine, to now present their whole lives to him because of this sound doctrine of which the gospel is at the heart. So again, we see that the goal of pastors here is simply Not simply to create well-structured lectures and talks, but to exhort, implore, plead with, urge the people of God to now live in light of that sound doctrine. Titus 1, verse 13. He says this testimony is true when he talks about those who are living in ungodly ways. He says, for this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Sound in the faith, in the content of truth, but yet in the content of truth in such a way that then it instructs how they live. So these false teachers, 
were not only teaching false doctrine, but they were living out their own doctrine, resulting in lives that were even denying that they knew God. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. And it is then that we come to Titus chapter 2, where it begins with Titus doing differently than what these false teachers were doing, who needed severe reproof. Chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, Titus, speak the things that are fitting for, here's the word again, sound doctrine. And then the apostle describes some of the things that are fitting for or consistent with sound doctrine as it pertains to older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. And in this instruction, the focus is still on being sound, not just in doctrine, but sound in living. So in verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, but not just sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. And in chapter 2, verse 8, he speaks to Titus among the young men, be sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So do you see it's necessary for a church to have sound doctrine? But if it's just sound doctrine, again, I emphasize to you, then it is doctrine without connecting the dots to a way of life. It's dead orthodoxy. It must be sound doctrine and it must be sound living. And these pastoral epistles, concerned with not just the content of doctrine, but the functioning of God's people in the church, in the lives of God's people. It's con- these letters are concerned with them living it out. Sound doctrine and sound living. And so there must be a life nourished by and brought up by that sound doctrine, shaped by that doctrine, molded by the truth, so that we have a sound church as characterized by what you keep hearing me say, sound doctrine and sound living. Now, let me pause here a minute and connect some more dots for you. You may often hear the phrase, the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. But do you know what that means? What I've been saying and showing you from the Bible, and in particular just from the pastoral epistles, is the foundation for understanding the sufficiency of Scripture. The written Word of God, the Scriptures, are sufficient. That is, they are enough. They are all that we need. That's what sufficient means. All that we need for what? All that we need for knowing the truth. God has given to us and deposited to us, so to speak, in the written word of God. All we need to know regarding man, regarding himself, regarding our situation, regarding the world we live in, and how sinners can be reconciled. All we need to know about Christ. It is sufficient for knowing the truth, but listen, it's also sufficient for living living the truth. It's all we need. The scriptures right here in this one book, God's revelation to us in written form. All we need for doctrine and practice. All we need for doctrine 
and for life. In other words, the Bible is sufficient for all the believer needs, all the church needs for sound doctrine and for sound living and for holiness and for sanctification in every single part of life. Knowing the truth, as revealed to us in sacred scripture, we can now grow in holiness and live to the glory of God in any and every circumstance when that truth is now applied to one's life. The scriptures are sufficient. Not only for what we know to be true, for sound doctrine, but for sound living to the glory of God, for holiness and sanctification. And the word of God, the written word of God, is exhaustive for this. That is, it leaves nothing out that we need for doctrine, for life, for godliness. It leaves nothing out. God has left nothing out of his word that the believer needs and the church needs for sound doctrine and for sound living. This is the sufficiency of scripture. Now, when I use the word exhaustive, I don't mean that the Bible is exhaustive on every subject under the sun. For example, when your car breaks down, the Bible is not a manual for how to fix it. When I had an alternator that went bad on a particular vehicle that, I, that was relatively new to me, I did not go to the Bible to find out how to change an alternator on a GMC truck. I went to the internet to find that out, which is pretty exhaustive for that purpose. So when I say it's exhaustive, listen to what I'm saying. The Bible is exhaustive for everything we need for doctrine and practice to live the Christian life, to grow in holiness and sanctification. So the Bible is not a manual on how to fix your car. But Scripture does reveal how you can grow in holiness and glorify God when your car breaks down. It is all you need for life and godliness, that is, for living the Christian life to the glory of God and growing in sanctification. And it gives you all that is necessary for those things. This is part of what we mean by the sufficiency of Scripture. So it's important to understand this because it's important to understand that the Bible really talks about God has given to us in his revealed written word all we need for doctrine and for life. Therefore, we hold to and believe the sufficiency of Scripture in the life of the believer and in the church of Jesus Christ. The problem is that sometimes we may wish that God had revealed to us in the Bible things that are not necessary for life and godliness. Practically, if we're not careful, we can think that we're wiser than God by implying that he has not given to us everything we need, all that is sufficient for us to know in order that we might live to his glory and be made holy. For example, I don't know why I don't know the specific reasons in the wise, good, and sovereign decree of God that my first daughter died. But I didn't need to know, and I don't need to know. 
what I did need to know, what was necessary for me to know in order to honor God, glorify Him, and grow in my love for Him and grow in holiness. All that I needed to know in that situation was found here in the Scripture. It was sufficient. The Bible was completely and absolutely sufficient for that. I did not need to go to another source. I did not need to go to philosophy. I did not need to go to psychology. I did not need to go to any other source. Those things are insufficient and often detrimental for living to the glory of God. God's completed canon of Scripture was all that I needed, and it's all that I need. It's all you need. It's all the church needs. Why? Because it reveals the truth, sound doctrine, all the doctrine and truth that I need, that the church needs, for what? For sound living. That is, for living consistently with God's revealed will for growing in holiness and for glorifying God. This, again, is the sufficiency of Scripture. It comes, see, this is where he says, show me in the Bible where the phrase is used. It's not used, but it's all over the Bible. Sound doctrine leads to sound living. If it's not sufficient for that, for all of life, then I don't have all the doctrine I need. God left something out of his written word. But no, he's given us all that we need for life and godliness. Believers often seek sources outside the Bible to aid them in living to the glory of God and grow in holiness for a host of reasons, but not limited to just these. Sometimes they don't know sound doctrine. They go outside the scriptures because they haven't gone to the the source that is sufficient for all that they need. And therefore, they, they don't think it's there. And they haven't dug into it thoroughly. And so they immediately say, well, I need to go to something else. And what we need to do as believers and as the church is to know thoroughly sound doctrine in the sacred scriptures. Sometimes people go to outside sources other than the scripture, which is sufficient for life and godliness because they don't believe what they read. Unbelief, it's there. They just don't believe it. Or they don't like it. They don't believe the sufficiency of Scripture because they haven't often connected the dots between sound doctrine and sound living. They haven't connected the dots between truth and life. But when you do, when you connect the dots, when you study God's Word, which it's exhausted for all that we need for life and godliness, but it can't be exhausted. You can't say, I've come to know everything that's there. But when you connect the dots between sound doctrine and sound living and you see the sufficiency of Scripture, all the glory of God's Word, all the delight and the joy, for then you understand more fully the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 119 when he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Why would I want to meditate on anything else? Why would I want to say, how do I deal with this aspect of my life and this struggle and wrestling with these areas when they are a part of sanctification? No, I want to meditate on your law, how I love it, how rich it is, how glorious it is. 
when we see this connection of life or, or doctrine to life and the sufficiency of God's word, then we say with the psalmist, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Then you read and you, you read it differently. With great joy when you read the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. When you begin to connect those dots and you begin to see, oh, yes, this truth that God has given affects my life in these ways. And now I'm seeing how this affects sanctification and joy in my walk with Christ. Then you begin to see all the sufficiency of God's word, how glorious this book is. So for a church to have spiritual soundness, there must be sound doctrine and sound living based on that doctrine that is consistent with that doctrine. That's why I said last week, I'm laboring the point. Truth is meant not only to be believed, but lived. Not only confessed, but applied. The Word of God is living and active. And it is to be, in this sense, alive among the people of God, doing its work, effecting sanctification in the people of God. It is fully functioning. This is a church that's spiritually sound. Now, look with me at chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. What we have read there are some of the things that you find in a spiritually sound church. They're necessary for a spiritually sound church. Things like godly leaders, verse 1, who speak the things fitting for sound doctrine, who proclaim the truth, and who do so, verse 15, they speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. A powerful proclamation of not only the sufficiency of word, but the authority of God's word. So it begins with leaders in the church who are speaking those things that are fitting for sound doctrine. But then there's a necessity of godly older men in verse 2, godly older women in verse 3. Again, godly younger women in verses 4 and 5, and godly younger men in verses 6 through 8, among which Titus found himself. But first, there is the necessity of spiritually sound pastors. So let me begin there. A spiritually sound and healthy church has pastors who live sound doctrine and then exhort others to do the same. A simple statement, but yet Foundational and important. A spiritually sound and healthy church has pastors who live sound doctrine and exhort others to do the same. Notice that Titus himself is addressed in verse 1. In verses 7 and 8, again, as one in the category of young men. And again in verse 15. 
This is where the health and soundness of a church begins. And that's why it's the first thing mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 5. For things to be set in order, there had to be the appointing of elders who meet certain qualifications. And that's why he tells Titus, set in order what remains and related to that, appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Who are they to be? Godly men who are nourished on the words of the faith, whose lives are shaped by Scripture and therefore meet certain character qualifications. And then they will be able, chapter 1, verse 9, to both exhort in sound doctrine, again, not just proclaim it, but exhort, urge, and plead in light of it to live this way and then to refute those who contradict. And so this is what we see in Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, Titus, speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. For a church to be spiritually sound, there must be pastors who speak sound doctrine. They preach the truth. They do so with power and authority, with passion for the glory of God and for the good of the souls under their care. And their preaching is not just about the content of sound doctrine, but it also contains a compelling call to live in light of that doctrine. The implications of truth coming to bear upon our lives. See, this is what I sought to do previous to preaching in these verses, and it's really somewhat of an extension of the principles when I preached a series of sermons of a call for men to be godly. It's a, a plea, a compelling call to live in light of sound doctrine. And so there is this need for pastors, first and foremost, foundationally, to speak sound doctrine and its implications to the congregation. It's not optional, it's essential. Because generally, as the leadership goes, so goes the church. And if the leadership is not living sound doctrine, then eventually the people won't live it. Church history is replete with examples of Christian colleges, universities, denominations, local churches that place men in leadership who do not hold to sound doctrine and do not live sound doctrine. And the eventual result is unfaithfulness and apostasy. If leadership treats sin lightly, the congregation eventually will treat sin lightly. If the leadership doesn't hold to the authority and sufficiency of the word, then the congregation will have a low view of Scripture as well. If leadership doesn't take holiness seriously, then the church will not. As the leadership goes, so goes the church. We see that in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul had to confront the apostle Peter because the Apostle Peter, fearing the, the party of the circumcision, began to hold himself aloof from certain Gentile Christians. And it says that there were those who joined him in his hypocrisy. They began to follow his leadership. He wasn't living consistent with the gospel. And even among the apostles, one has to confront another and say, you're living inconsistent with what you're proclaiming. And people are beginning to follow. 
And so you see, biblical, biblical qualified godly leadership is essential and the starting point for a sound and healthy church. Now in Titus chapter 2, we see three areas of life, the life and ministry of pastors that are necessary for the spiritual soundness of the church. These three areas are the pastor's life, the pastor's proclamation, and then we might call it the pastor's authority. That's in verse 15, but we're not going to have time to really deal with that in detail. But first consider the pastor's life. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, and again, he's addressing Titus, but as for you, Titus. And the word but is a contrast. It's an adversative, adversative conjunction. And, and it's a contrast here. His life contrasted with those false teachers and how they were living. Remember, they were claiming to know him, but by their deeds they denied him because they were detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. In light of that, in chapter 1, verse 16, he then says, But you, Titus, your life should be different because it's founded on the truth and not false teaching. And so Titus, in his life, was to be characterized not by saying one thing and doing another, but by integrity, consistency between what he professed to believe and what he lived. And so Paul is in essence saying to him, don't be like those who have sound or unsound doctrine, false doctrine that leads to sinful ways of living, but you, and the emphasis is you, Titus, but you. Because a godly life must precede True proclamation of the word. Some are satisfied with preachers who give attention to the proclamation without being men who are consumed with sanctification. And it shouldn't be that way. Again, that goes back to chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. The qualifications of an elder. He must be, in verse 6, a man who is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, that is, faithful children, not accused of dissipation and rebellion. An overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Then finally he gets to the ministry of the word in verse 9, but preceding his ministry of the word is a life that is based on sound doctrine, that's driven by sound doctrine, consumed with sanctification because character is paramount. For a man to be a pastor, he must have godly character. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 says it in that way. An overseer then must be above reproach. Here in Titus 1 verse 6, he's to be appointed if, a conditional particle, if he meets these qualifications. And these areas of godliness are all-encompassing. It's an overarching qualification of being above reproach, marked by spiritual maturity. But in what area specifically? In his home life, in his relationship to his wife. He's the husband of one wife. He's a one-woman man. He's faithful to his wife in the marriage covenant. He's faithful in bringing up his children, and the children under his care are faithful to him. They follow, whether believers or not. And there's some 
disagreement of how that should be translated, that's another sermon for another time. My interpretation is it's faithful children, children in your household, under your care, that they follow you faithfully, they, they're restrained by your leadership. So even if they're not believers at that time, they are not accused of dissipation and rebellion. So his home life honors God. His life is self-controlled and orderly. He's not self-willed. He's about the will of God. He's not quick-tempered. He's not enslaved to things. He's not a fighter. But instead, his relationships are marked by godliness. He's hospitable. He has godly affections. He loves what is good. So again, the emphasis here, see how you can't separate it? You can't say, oh, as long as he can proclaim the truth. No, he has to live the truth. There has to always be harmony between the two. Now, some would rather have men of great oratory skills as their pastors. I'd rather have men who are skilled in godly living. We should not despise a man of lesser speaking ability than another, for not all are equally gifted in that area. However, we should never tolerate a man whose life does not meet the standards of holiness in God's word. For then and only then, when his life matches sound doctrine, can he now exhort others to do the same. And this is what the Apostle Paul is commanding of Titus in chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. His life must be marked by holiness so that then he can speak to others with authority, not his own, but with the authority of God, and exhort them, speak to them, not just about the content of sound doctrine, but for how to live in light of sound doctrine, those things fitting for and consistent with it. So having a life shaped by sound doctrine, the pastor's life, then we see the pastor's proclamation. And you see that in the word speak in verse 1. Speak, Titus. And don't just live it. Now that's critical. You need to be an example to the flock. But now you must speak it. You must explain sound doctrine, but more than that, you must explain how that intersects with sound, godly living. living. But just consider a moment the importance of speaking. Speak, Titus. He was to preach, he was to teach, he was to do this publicly, privately, personally, believer to believer. He was to communicate with his words the truth of sound doctrine and those things consistent with it. Now there are things that you learn by watching. There are things you learn through the eyes. God has chosen to reveal certain things about himself that we learn through the eye gate. We observe creation and we learn certain things about God. The heavens declare as we see them. They don't speak literally speech, but in a figurative sense, they pour forth speech. But it's through the eyes. We see those things. We observe them. But for a church to be spiritually sound, there need to be words spoken. 
God calls men to be messengers, preachers, proclaimers. Now, it's, it's like instrumental music. I, I like instrumental music. It can be very nice. It can be very pleasing. And there are times where you just want to hear music, right? You want to relax. You want to hear instrumental music, and it's beautiful. You can have a pleasing sound, a nice tune and a nice melody, but you need words to really communicate truth. God has chosen that truth be communicated, not through the eyes or the ears primarily of just listening, unless you're listening to words. So he says, speak, Timothy. You can, you can have pleasing sound, pleasing music, but if the words are an error, it's not edifying. By the way, to connect dots again, that's why our music must be accompanied by sound words. The goal isn't just to have music. The, the music isn't the main thing. The music is something that is pleasing, and it's a vehicle by which now we can sing and make melody. That's, that's biblical. But we have to speak the truth because the melody doesn't make us holy. It's the truth spoken, sung, that changes us. And that's why we have to develop good listening habits. That's why we did a study uh, not too many years ago in our flock groups on Be Careful How You Listen, a book by Jay Adams. That's why I taught on the subject of spiritual growth not too long ago in our 9 o'clock Bible study. And I talked about how the Word is a means of grace and hearing the Word is so important. And we talked about how to be good hearers of the Word because it's the spoken Word that God uses in our sanctification. Parents, we would do our children good to teach them to read and to listen more, sometimes without visuals. Again, I'm not being dogmatic about this. I'm not saying there's not benefit to visuals. We have television. Sometimes we put PowerPoint presentations. We watch videos. There are things that has an ability. But we, we do need to teach our children with the world getting more and more visual to learn to read and to listen more. We learn by seeing, but in the church, the emphasis is on the spoken word and hearing it. Our children often gravitate toward the visual, but I think it would do them good to have their attention held not by the eyes, but by the ears. Hearing the word. And that may mean sometimes you, you have to bring up your children in less time in videos, less time in video games, watching movies, and more of an emphasis on reading and listening to the spoken word. Parents, when you teach and correct your children, you don't bring out a video, do you? You don't need a cartoon or a movie. You want to speak and they listen. You want to speak the Word of God. You want to say, as the Proverbs say over and over again, my son, listen to me. Hear the words of my mouth. Bringing up your children requires speaking to them, using words and imparting truth and wisdom in that way. And for them to benefit, they have to hear and heed. Pastors are the same way. We're to speak. And the people of God have to learn to hear. And so he tells Titus, 
But as for you, your life is to be different than those mentioned in chapter 1. And you're to speak. But not just speak, but speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. That is, the things that are suitable, proper, and consistent with sound doctrine. This word fitting is used in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 10. Here's the context in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. Listen, there's a point that's very important here. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather, here's how he wants women to be adorned but rather adorned by means of good works, as is, here's the word, proper or fitting for women making a claim to godliness. So again, you say, you know, I want to hear sound doctrine, but don't get too personal. I mean, Paul, you're crossing the line now. Tell me about sound doctrine, but now you're talking about how we dress and what clothing communicates and how to honor and glorify God with dress. And he says, because there are things that are fitting and proper for women making a claim to godliness. And it has to do with not only what you believe and what you say, and again, your creed and confession, but then how that plays out in your life, even how you look, how you dress, not only for women, for men as well. But you see the principle here for modesty that their adornment must be consistent with proper for women making a claim to godliness. You see this throughout the Bible. Again, I'm just emphasizing what you know, but it needs to be brought into focus. That when the Apostle Paul speaks in Philippians chapter 2 about the incarnation of Christ, the humiliation of Christ, how he emptied himself and became a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He became like a slave. And then he says, but you're to have the same mind as Christ did. And this should affect your relationships. You see, it's not just about knowing and being able to recite truths of the incarnation and those things that are historically errors from the biblical doctrine, but then now here's how you live. This is why 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is a light and in him there's no darkness at all. That's about the holiness of God. That he is only holy, always holy, nothing but holy. There's not a hint of sin or imperfection in him. But then he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. Do you see the application of that truth to life? In 1 Peter chapter 1, you shall be holy for I am holy, Peter says. God is holy. And if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, then how are you to live? If you say he's your father and you know the doctrine of adoption and all the P's and Q's as they say of of that doctrine, then live like it. Conduct yourself in fear during your time of stay on the earth. Or 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, you're familiar with that when when Paul is, is saying, here's what's true. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you. Here's the doctrine of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you've been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. 
Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It ought to affect how you now live. Romans chapter 6, you've been united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. What a glorious truth of our union with Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, he goes on to say. But instead, you're to present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. There's the truth. You're alive from the dead. Well, then here's how you're to live. And what Paul is telling Titus is, you need to speak not just the doctrine, but you need to speak the things that are consistent with those truths. In other words, exhort them for what this means for how they live. Pastors are called to preach holiness, to apply the scriptures to life, to speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. And unfortunately, this is where sometimes sheep begin to object. Some are fine with the preacher that just preaches sound doctrine, but don't be a pastor that shepherds the flock according to sound doctrine. Preach the word, but don't hold me accountable to it. Preach against this or that, but don't get personal and practical in my life. Preach, but don't pastor. There are those, again, you've heard me say this before, who want to applaud or say amen to sound doctrine, but they don't want to apply it. They like sermons on the Lordship of Christ, but they don't want to bow the knee. And Paul is saying a spiritually sound church isn't one just with sound doctrine. No, it's sufficient for doctrine, but also for practice. And it must be applied to the life. We don't just make disciples by teaching content, but how to obey all that Jesus has commanded. So you see, a spiritually sound and healthy church has pastors who live out sound doctrine but then exhort others to do the same. It begins with men who meet those qualifications, those character qualifications, who then can, if you go to Titus 2.15, not to address this exhaustively, but just to touch on it, because it's like an inclusio. He begins the chapter that way, ends it this way. It begins with Titus speaking things fitting for sound doctrine, and then he ends with this. Speak these things, speak and exhort, implore them, urge them, and even reprove them with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Speak, declare, exhort, implore, urge, reprove. That, that means convict. Use the Word of God to bring sin to light. Expose it that it might be rebuked. But all with the purpose that now our lives would be consistent with sound doctrine, that we'd be growing in holiness. And when pastors do this, with the authoritative and sufficient Word of God, it's binding on the consciences of God's people. And therefore, as he says in verse 15, he's to do so with all authority. Not because the pastor's the authority. He's not. It's because God's the authority. And we're preaching sound words, sound doctrine, and we're connecting the dots to what that looks like, sound living. And when pastors fulfill this spiritual responsibility before the Lord, then the, the body of believers should respond receptively 
The result is that the Word of God is now richly dwelling within us and among us, doing its work. Brethren, this is how you ought to pray for us as pastors. Pray for us that that we would not just be men who make mere suggestions, but men of the Word who preach the Word. The Word of God, the sufficient Word of God. And you should come wanting to hear authoritative messages from the Word of God. I pray this is the case, for this is what makes a spiritually sound and healthy church. And so I would plead with you, pray for your pastors. Pray for us that we would live this doctrine, that our lives will be consistent. We are growing in sanctification and we're being tested and tried. Pray for us and then pray that we would exhort you and come wanting to hear exhortations and not simply lectures appealing and urging the people of God to live in light of this sound doctrine. And in this way, we have the foundation for a spiritually sound church. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the things that characterize this church that are sound, that give us stability and spiritual strength and maturity. But Father, continue to be at work. Continue to work within us and among us in such a way that we'd be spiritually sound. And Father, I pray that would begin with us as elders, as pastors. May there be a contrast between our lives in the lives of those who do not hold to sound doctrine. But as for us, Lord, may it be true of us as pastors, even as it needed to be true of Titus and the men he would appoint, that we'd be men of godly character, growing in holiness, men walking with you and not just speaking about you. But Lord, then give us grace to speak, to proclaim, to declare, not only the content of truth, but to proclaim and declare those things that are fitting for and consistent with sound doctrine and exhort the people of God and stir them up to to living holy lives, to stir them up to love for you, to stir them up to godly affections, to stir them up to behavior that is consistent with those who are in the light even as you are light. Father, grow us to a spiritually sound church more and more. For your church is to be indeed a light. It is to proclaim ultimately the excellencies of you who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. May we do so with integrity. All to the praise of the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.